Hello and thank you for choosing Starting Somewhere, the podcast where you hear from someone in the early stages of their working life to find out how they got to where they are, what they actually do every day, and just to get an honest look as to what your life might look like if you start out in that area. I'm your host, Michael Watson, and today's episode is focused on grad school. I know that in previous episodes, all the conversations have mainly been focused on the work that people have done right after college or grad school, but we haven't heard from anyone currently pursuing postgraduate education. That changes today. Ryan Palco is currently pursuing his JD law degree, a master's in business administration or MBA, and his master's in accounting all at the same time from Cleveland State University. So, for anyone who has ever considered grad school, this is the episode for you. We talk about everything from how he ended up doing all of these things to just what it's like surviving when you're in three different grad programs and also working on the side. Ryan had so much to share, so I won't take up any more time. But one last thing, please make sure to stick around for the follow-up after the interview where I will help to unpack some of what we said, explain any technical jargon used, and thank our sponsors. All right, hope you enjoy. Ryan Palco, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm really glad that we got the chance to, to link up over, you know, an off text. And here we are. Here we are on the program. I'm so excited. I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation. So I am I am. Oh, I'm over the moon. Um, let's get started with the official first question of the podcast, which is what did you want to be when you were little? So if you if you ask my mother, um, my mom would tell you a fireman or a construction worker. Um, and as buddies in high school said that I was a smart kid that somehow got an education because I really just should have been a blue collar worker. Um, and then it transitioned to, to high school where, you know, I really wanted to be a doctor and that's how I got into college um, was to become a doctor and then update that didn't happen. And sure, yeah. you know, looking back, I think it's probably for the better and all, but yeah. Uh, I would definitely be a uh, construction worker, working with my hands in a union job, um, doing God's work. I love that. This podcast supports union labor, always, always Absolutely. and forever organized. Um, well, okay, so then that, that leads me right into the next thing, which is great. So can you explain a little bit what you mean that uh, in high school by wanting to be a doctor, that's how you got into college. So you attended Ohio state. Um, but, but when was that decision made and how did you go from being in high school saying, I want to be a doctor to then, you know, enrolling at OSU? So, you know, I think everybody, not, maybe not everybody's, it's an overstatement, but I at least felt this moral calling in the sense of helping people. And you ask a lot of people that are going you know, to these trades, they're like, what do you want to do with your life? And they're like, I want to help people. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Because every, you know, I think if you have a moral compass, generally you want to take care of the people around you. Um, so that's what led me into that. And I, I worked at the Cleveland Clinic for 
a number of years in an internship role in, in high school. So, you know, I, I got to see what it was like. But while I got to see the actual practice of medicine, I didn't understand chemistry at Ohio State. Mm. And that was miserable. Um, so I... <laughs> Yeah, I know, you know, it's a rite of passage and it's, it's actually a weed out. Well, I was a weed and they weeded me out. So I, I did not very do very well, to say the least. So then, so then how quickly into your time at OSU did you switch? What major did you come in with then? Were you like a bio major, pre-med, something like that? No. So I was psychology. Um, okay. I still graduate with a minor in it, actually. I, I, I just found it fascinating. Um you know, and Ohio State has a great social psychology program. It's like mm-hmm. the best in the nation. So I was like, oh, why not? You know, if it's great, you know, take a few classes and whatnot. But yeah. what made me switch was there was a girl um, that I met who was in Mount. She actually did not exist at Ohio State when you came in because she went back to California. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's weird in, this, in the sense that um, – People come into your life for a reason sometimes. And I was writing more than I was studying um, my freshman year at Ohio State. And we, you know, I don't know, we just kind of connected. Um, I really enjoy the arts. And she's like, you should go be an English teacher. And I'm like, maybe. And then she's like, you really don't like what you're doing. And I go, absolutely not. <laughs> and on October 14th, what was it, 20. It would have been 2014. I walked into Denny Hall and said, I'm being an English major. And they were like, welcome. And I was like, I didn't expect that. Number one, that was really way too easy. And are you really hurting that bad for people to study the liberal arts? And yes, they are. There was a New York Times opinion article in 2012 on the death of the humanities degree. And I think it's absolutely true. So that yeah, it comports with the whole theory that like, yeah, they're taking you with open arms because they want more, more liberal arts folk in their um, college. But that's how I became an English major. And, you know, I, I wear that proudly on my, on my sleeve um, still to this day. So that would have been what, two, three months yeah. uh, into your fresh in your first semester freshman year. So that was pretty quick that you realized, yeah, I'm not, uh, this isn't working anymore. Not as I a major mean, at least. Well, so, you know, I, yeah, I, uh, I walked out of first semester of freshman year with a 2-1. Mind you, I'm like in high school, I don't know, I was like a 4-3 student, you know, top of the class, all this jazz, APs. Then I take these very humbling courses where, number one, I don't care enough about them. Two, I'd rather hang out with friends. And three, I would rather just go tell stories all day long. And that's what I did. And I was like, you know, I, I can help people in many more ways than just uh, prescribing medicines. There's so many different ways. And, you know, getting people's stories on paper or on, you know, in text, I guess, or visually, audio, whatever it may be, was a lot more interesting in my book, personally. Was that, I mean, was it a scary decision to make? Because there is a considerable difference in uh, post-graduation stability between being a, you know, science major and being an English major. So, like, was that a part of the decision process at all? Or was it more so, I really like this. If I'm going to be in college, I might as well just, you know, do something that I enjoy. So, you know, that's a really interesting comment. Um, My mother's a teacher. 
uh, early childhood, and my father is a CPA. So how do they, you know, birth this creative kid? I we we still don't really know. Um, but also, my parents are very very supportive, extremely supportive. So was it scary? Not really, because I knew that my parents would um, always embrace it for what it is. That being said. I do remember hanging a gutter with my father outside the back porch and he's like, well, what do you want to do with your life? And I go, I don't know, dad, I'm just going to go write. And he goes, well, remember son, someone has to buy your writing. And I go, that's just really fascinating because at the time I had no concept of what, you know, money and or business are. And he said, well, what lifestyle do you want to live? And I go, you know, I want, I want some cash. And he goes, well, Update, bud, you're going to need to get a high-paying job for that partner. If you like drinking really nice gin, I'm sorry, a starving artist is not going to cut it. So I was like, okay, what? You know, I got to find something that I do. And I ended up in the land of misfit toys <clears throat> law school. Um, and that's how I got there because people pay a lot of money for my writing now. But it, was it to answer your question exactly on point, no, it really wasn't. It wasn't scary for me. It was more of a shock and awe that it was one so easy, and two, you you know when you make these decisions, sometimes it just feels right. Like when you start mm-hmm. dating somebody new, and it just there's that feeling in you that like the world is great and the world is bliss and and things are easy. It, it felt really good. It felt like a weight off my chest. Like I was, you know, aligning with this idea of authenticity in some weird way, shape, or form. Um, so that's how I ended up getting there. I would imagine people in you know different boats. It would be very you know unsettling and, and unnerving um, to really lean in to those inner feelings and and go jump into the deep end in some respects. That's not saying I'm a, a better for it. It's just it felt really comforting having the support system at home. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I mean, I can also just relate to that because I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do either. And, like, the only thing that kind of kept me going was, like, well, I mean, I know that I'll go home. Like, I know that I will at least be there and then can, you know, figure it out from there. And that is a huge – that's huge. That's just – yeah. And, and, you know, looking back, there's certain skills that I think – this is my humble pitch for all the listeners out there on to get an English degree, a philosophy degree, something in the liberal arts because they don't – it teaches you – absolutely nothing, but it gives you keys to the whole wide world in the sense that you have the ability to think and reason and look at problems that aren't technical necessarily. I mean, writing is technically a a hard skill, I would guess you could say, but the way in which you look at narratives and stories is in all of my alphabet of degrees, I've never hit the same thing. So I, I do like I referenced earlier, the the death of the humanities degree by the New York Times opinion article. Um, I, I do really believe that. I think it is a very important skill for society to have humanities, uh, liberal arts students. I mean, for sure. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you for a second. Um, did you do anything in undergrad that the goal was to try to set you up for something after, like whether that was career exploration, whether that was, you know, internships, jobs, were there things that you did with the express thought of, I hope that this helps me figure out what I want to do next? Yes and no. 
Yes, in the sense that I did work for the Cuyahoga County Prosecutor for a summer. I did an externship there. And that was great. That was really cool to see the practice end of criminal law. That is not where I wanted to end up in the sense of I don't I didn't want to practice criminal law. I knew that coming in because it was um, it's very hard in the sense that you're dealing a lot with emotions and people um, in ways that money is not the same. And I, it was really integral to see that early on in college. I think I did that between my sophomore and junior years that summer. Otherwise, to answer your question, no. Law's weird. You can't really prepare for it other than get good grades and be different. And I, I also, I think it's some of my personality. I tend to fly by the seat of my pants, if you can garner that from here, especially in the sense that I didn't, I, I, you know, I, I don't really know where I want to be. It, it's, it's a journey and we're figuring out as we walk it. And I understand there's a lot of liberty in that, in that position. And that I'm afforded a, you know, a great amount of privilege to do that. However, I, I do feel many ways you can't predict the future. And mm-hmm. I've kind of, you have to embrace the suck and the uncertainty and really lean into it. And I think law has a lot of those elements because, you know, for example, in med school, you know, you have to take a set amount of courses to, to become a doctor. You have to do bio, you have to do cab and update. I didn't do those, but with law, you can have a dance degree and there is no prerequisite. So I think those are beautiful things for the profession of law. However, I will go and answer your question a step farther and say, what is really beneficial for law school? I mean, I I would say a liberal arts degree and also logic. I I took symbolic logic. I think it was my junior year of college. And it is not a one-to-one carryover for law school, but it is extremely beneficial for just reasoning in general. Because legal reasoning is a little different than anything else you're going to do. But having a hard logic background does help regardless. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's definitely, I think good for people that are interested in law school really quick before I talk about what that decision was like when you decided in college that you did want to go to law school. Let's talk a little bit about a job that you had in college as a technical writer. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you got that job and then kind of what that day to day was like? So uh, I, was a technical writer at a software firm up here in Cleveland. I got the job through a lady I go to church with. I've known her for, oh boy, I mean, what am I, 25? I, I've known Terry for a number of years, I mean, at least over 10. And um, she is the, she runs the marketing department there. So I was developing technical writing manuals for the firm. And I really liked the firm. They did a great job. Um, and the product wise and what it was like day to day is you're, you're, you're interacting with the software and documenting how you use the software. Very, it it sounds kind of odd, but you have to know Mm -hmm. the ins and the outs of using the, the software and you're using language to do that. So, the, the, the key part of the technical writing that I experienced was making it so simple 
that anybody could do it. That there is a there is a plain language terms that is pretty much universal in, in the technical writing world. That you try to make it so bare bones, so simple, and the sentence structures are um, tight predicate, subject and predicates, and very simple verbs. So it helps in general for life for a lot of things. So are you basically like the writing that you're doing with them? Are you basically writing like instructions and like answering FAQs and like putting that on the website? Is it basically like anything that using that software, anything using that company that you read as help, that's that's the, what you're working on? Yes. So in the okay. art of the technical writing manuals, back in the day, you would get manuals sent to you in books uh, of how to use things like the software. Now, as as you alluded, yes, they're all online. So FAQs, knowledge bases, things along those lines. And, and when I was with the company, we, we started expanding into audio visual stuff, which is a weird way of technical writing. It, it's not necessarily the same as, you know, you would think of the written word. That being said, you're still documenting how to engage and interact with a product, a service, things along those lines. So gotcha. Yeah, it, to answer your question, yes, that's a, that's what it is. It, it could be very boring. Um, technical writing is notoriously dry because you're dealing with technical items. Yeah. Did that? I mean, did that confirm anything for you? Just because, like, and we can talk about this, but uh, having talked to you, having other friends in law school, I have definitely heard that there are times when it can be a little dry. So, do you think that? Um, do you think that that maybe solidified the fact that, oh yeah, like this is not the most exciting thing in the world, but I can do this and I can sit down and, you know, complete all of the work necessary. And you also find that you like being able to do that. So I, I, I kind of knew from sophomore year on that I was going to go to law school or at least apply okay. at that point. So I always saw it as a means to an end. Um, with that being said, I didn't really look like this could be my career. For example, um, was I looking at jobs in this field? Not really. Because I knew that I was going to be applying to law school. And if that plan didn't go, we would figure it out from there. Sure. Okay. So So then, yeah, no. So I was just going to say, so then let's talk. So, you know, I to me, that just seems a little that's pretty early in college to decide to go to grad school i feel like for some people sophomore year right well, would you disagree well, I, I would agree with you i'd agree with your with that position. no so i'm just so i'm just asking like what was it then you know during your sophomore year that you thought yeah i want to go to i want to go to grad school but i also really want to go to law school so it was that was it that the conversation with your dad of like oh like well i'm gonna need to uh we're yeah. not just writing to write. Like we need to, we, we need to put some stuff behind it. Yes. And they had an info session held by the English department on careers with an English degree. This was, I think my sophomore year I, I attended it and they're like starting salaries are roughly 30,000. And you know, that's not exactly the number that I was considering. So mm -hmm. I, I, I think if you ask people honestly and they'll tell you the truth, they went to law school to make some money. I mean, obviously, sure. you know, to, to, you know, come and turn the corner a little bit, 
yeah, you came to help people. You came to help clients. Let's not, you know, lie on this factor. However, people pay a lot of money for lawyers and it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what I do in my day to day. So it, it, I don't want to sheerly pigeonhole it as a financial decision. However, it was, a, it was a very heavily weighed in that area. And I knew that I, I wanted to use the word values aligned with that. So I, I knew there wasn't going to be a lot of change and wiggle room from there on out. And nothing really lit my fire in the technical writing world, which is a very one-to-one profession out of an English degree. Or I was also looking at uh, grad schools in English to go into teaching. Okay. And the reason I shied away from that was I didn't want to spend eight years in school. I was like, I kind of just want to start being an adult and, and not eating ramen. But, yeah, you know, for a number of time in the first few years of law school, I was like, oh, man, I really should have just gone back and, and gone to grad school and not done, you know, a technical mm-hmm. law degree. And while I enter my, my third, fourth weird year, I think I made the right decision. Okay. Well, that's good. I mean, like, that's always a positive looking yeah. back and saying like, yeah, we, we, we were on the right, we were doing the right thing. Right. So now let's also talk about this though, because you're not just in grad school pursuing a law degree. Um, you're also in two other master's programs as well. Had you, so you're currently a candidate for a JD, an MBA, and a master's in accounting, correct? That is correct. Okay. So we, you came in knowing law school. So that was, that was part of it. Was there anything else that you, when you enrolled, that when you came in that you applied for, you said, did you double up or did you do all three from the jump? So I knew that before I got in, I was in the MBA program and then the Mac came later. But as to the, the funny story in the MBA, like I, I alluded earlier, my father is a CPA and business had always been in the home and I really had never understood business. And it was Christmas Eve of my senior year of college. We just had our family, you know, gathering friends for Christmas mm-hmm. Eve at the house. And I went upstairs and I submitted an application for to get into the MBA program. And I walked downstairs to go, hey, mom and dad, you're probably going to get something in the mail in a few weeks for an MBA. Uh, yeah, I applied. Uh, we'll see how it goes. And that's kind of how... I, I, I do fly by the seat of my pants for the most part. I was like, uh, this sounds like a pretty good idea. We'll see what happens. I applied. I, I got in and that's how I ended up with it. So it, without the jest, I, a, a lady I, I worked with at the software company was also a lawyer. And she said that at the end of the day, law is a lot of business and it would be very beneficial for you to have a business background. I said, hmm, that's really interesting. So that's what was the, the, the process. She put the bug in my ear regarding it. And then I kind of ran with it a little bit later on an impromptu wing. So then how early into pursuing an MBA and a JD did you say, you know what, this isn't enough. And I need to add a master's in accounting to this because I don't think that I'm working hard enough. When did that decision happen? <laughs> so... 
I decided on the Masters of Taxation Accountancy with a focus in tax after a conversation with the CTO at KeyBank. The CTO is a chief tax officer for KeyBank. And she said, you know, it's I really like tax. That's why I said I really like tax. I enjoyed it. At this point, I had taken tax one. I was like, wow, like this is really cool. Update, very few people say that. So, you know, there's a caveat already in, in this story. And... I looked at my schedule, I appraised it, and I said, mm, I have some room. I can just take a few more classes. And because I have an English degree, I couldn't sit for the CPA exam. And the lady, Miss Adams, was like, you know, a lot of the tax lawyers and are, are CPAs. And I think that on the one hand, that comes with the profession. And I think there's a certain type of person that's also attracted there. They tend to be accountants previously, go to law school, or go to law school and go back and get their CPA. So... I was like, let's just open the door for more opportunities. So that's why I threw that on because I would have enough credits to sit for the CPA exam if I wanted to, which I, I would like to it as I sit here today. Do you think, so obviously, you know, you pursue all of those things at once because you do like them, right? Like you have to like all of it to some degree. Otherwise there's, there's no chance you're going to, you know, you're going to make it through. Um, do you think, Part of it also, though, is fueled by the knowledge of yourself that you do tend to fly by the seat of your pants and you like that and you like just going day to day and seeing what happens. And you know that if you do this, it just like I, I don't want to necessarily I'm trying to figure out how I, how to phrase this, but like you like it does open a lot of doors for you. So it's not necessarily that that's a guarantee that you're going to pursue these things but it's at least on the table. And given that you kind of like to, you know, bounce around from different things, do you think that this is just kind of ensuring freedom later on? That's absolutely, yeah. So, you know, I'm very close with my father. And one of the things we were talking about, because we both grew up in the recession in 2008. And I remember that pretty, pretty vividly. You know, my father coming home and him not may not have a job. And mm -hmm. at the time he was working for National City, you know, maybe my timeline is a little jacked up. He, he, PNC bought National City at some point and he was part of National City at the time. And then the acquisition happened and then the recession hit. And there was a question of whether he was going to have a job. And I remember there was some pretty intense times where we didn't really know. And I was going to high school in 2010 and I, my dad had been offered a job in Pittsburgh and he specifically told them my boy just went is in school and high school here. I'm not pulling him. He just like just started, you know, so I have a lot of respect for that on many fronts, but with those conversations later came, you know, Ryan, you are replaceable. And part as he's at the end of his career, as I enter the beginning of my career, I've tried to, to make a way that I have, I write my ticket. I don't want to be at a point where I am beholden to somebody to say, Hey man, I can, I can go do whatever I want to do. I can go have my farm in New York with ponies and I don't have to do that. I also have different value in different sectors. So it, that's, that was a large driving focus of doing a lot of these things it is, you know, writing an insurance policy on a career. If you, you want to put it crudely. Yeah. And that's that's what I that was a lot of the focus coming in 
Okay. That's that's just really interesting because, like, you know, it does it definitely makes sense, but it's also so much to follow through on. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there are a lot of people that would say, sure, yeah, I'll go get three masters and then things will things will be a little different later on. But like, that's a ton. Like, that's a massive undertaking to be able to do. In, in some respects, yes. In, in some respects, no. You have to look at it like this. I ran cross country in high school and I don't run anymore. I, I just, I got a lot of other things going on. That being said, if you wanted me to go run a few miles today, I can just go do it because it's a mental, it's a mental state. You, mm. you're, you know how far your body can go without training. You know how far you can generally push yourself. And it's really the same thing with this. It's testing your limits as far as you can go. But with that comes, you know, you're not going to sleep a lot some days and you may have to give up some travel and hanging out with friends. I mean, there are sacrifices to the whole, yeah. to the whole story. Like it, it's been a long four, yeah, four years now because I've been in summer school consistently um, since I basically graduated undergrad. I've had back to front school for yeah. like four straight years. Can you talk a little bit about what your day to day is like, or like what the average week in the life of Ryan Palco is like? So I'll I'll start as I sit here today, it's sure. because it, it, there is a stark demarcation at one L versus the I guess upper levels of law. I, I started work, so my my I'll start at the high level and then get back to the, the terrible the the sure. drudgery of one L. Um, excuse my hacking that one hour it's like hell on earth and no one wants to ever go do it again but so my day-to-day now is I, I work about 18 hours a week at a firm in town and i do civil litigation work so that's a big fancy word for saying my firm goes to court a lot we we litigate we argue we're arguers mm-hmm. but that's pretty much tailored to the civil world so we're dealing with um Disputes over money, property, wills, and anything but criminal. What criminal. type of work specifically are you doing with them? So we have, I would say, four main practice areas. It'll be a bit commercial practice, a real estate practice, a, an estate practice, and a general litigation. General litigation falls in with employment and any other, it's very broad. I mean, litigation is extremely, mm-hmm. extremely broad. So I, I see a little bit of everything. Um, whatever assignments come my way. So like this week, I've been writing a few motions for summary judgment or drafting, excuse me. And that's been in the commercial sector or commercial practice. Uh, you know, I, I've wrote motions in the estate practice and I've done research across all of them. So it, it really does vary. And that's why I like working for a full service firm in the sense that I see so much. It's not just one area of the law. You're looking at Mm -hmm. all the intersections of many different bodies of law under the American system. How did you get connected at that uh, law firm? So I went to high school or the, the school that I was at. My religion teacher, his wife was a partner at the firm. And I eventually reached out to her and networked. And she said, hey, put a put a resume in. And then I this was during the COVID times. 
and they with they froze hiring and then right around this time last year they reached out and said yeah we'd love to interview and i go no that's wonderful and i got hired on so that's awesome and, and you know a, a law is a very small pond in the sense that there's extremely high barriers of entry and lawyers love to talk about themselves so the way in which you get jobs is you talk to people and you're, you're likable. You really have to hit the ground hard. And I mean, that's just the, the nature of our profession is you gotta, you, you gotta communicate and just get to know people. It always helps because it is a really small world, even though, you know, I won't touch criminal cases now. I, it's still, I, I have a bunch of friends that do criminal work um, mm-hmm. that are not criminals that work defending or prosecuting um, accused individuals in, in court. It, it's very hard. God bless them. So, but it is a small world. And that's beautiful in some respects and, and hard in others. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you said you work about 18 hours a week, right? Yes, I don't really sleep. Roughly. I was going to say, so then what's the school schedule like? I, I also carry 18 credit hours of okay. a mix between law and business. Um, so a lot of my business courses tend to be tax related, whether we're looking at we're different sections of the code. So I, I'm enrolled in a course this upcoming semester on property transactions and taxation of property transactions, advanced corporate tax. Uh, I took partnership taxation last semester, took a bunch of international courses just to toot my pedigree more and more and more. But most of my, my, um, my academic course load is tax courses, which is a lot of, it's all statutory interpretation of the internal, you know, what could you think of more riveting on a Monday evening (laughs) than sitting with the trusty old IRC? What is section 351? Let me just really dive into it. That's what everyone hopes and dreams of. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I like to have fun on a Monday night. So I, I, I totally get it. And, and in the meantime, then I'm reading moral philosophy because, you know, you got to take some load off because moral right. philosophy is so much more interesting than, you know, the internal revenue code. Got to have a brain break. You just got Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I watch a ton of movies. That's what I, I try to do is sit with the kitty cat and watch some movies. And that, that's how I relax for the most part. Um, it's by the time I get done with things, I'm, I'm zonked, man. I don't want to, I don't want to do anything. I bet. I, I sit on the couch and kind of veg out for the most part. What's been the most surprising thing that you have, you know, seen, learned, um, and this could be about yourself, about, you know, grad school in general, but what, what have been the most surprising things, um, that you've kind of come across since, uh, starting grad school? My God, is law boring? And that is probably the most interesting part. One, two, nobody cares about it in the sense that if you go and try to talk to somebody at a bar and they're like, hey, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a lawyer and I'm working on this really cool case. Their eyes glaze over. And number one, you're talking in a foreign language. You're really into it. And they're like, dude, I don't care. And it's also just really, really boring. At least your first year is. 
But on the other hand of that same coin, the practice is not school. So I should qualify my statement a little bit more that law school is really boring to me. And I am by no means, you know, a star student in law school. I'm a pretty average student. But I find the practice of it significantly more fascinating and interesting because it's not coming out of a textbook anymore. And you're dealing with real people, real problems, and you see what happens. People lose money. People make mistakes. People come to you when they really need help. And you help them. And that is, it's not the drab property law of your first year of law school. And frankly, I started working after my first summer. And if it wasn't for my job, I don't know if I would have carried it on because I found law that boring. Like the school practice, the the, the actual school of it, Mm -hmm. by doing it for three years at this point, it's rinse, wash, and repeat. You know, I know what the professors are going to ask. I know how they test. You pretty much get in the same mode. But with that is the obvious statement that, man, it's just like, the same thing over and over. It's pretty boring, but the practice of it, everything's new. And you know, I'm green yeah. many years. I, you know, I'm a clerk. I'm, I'm just getting into it. But you're dealing with real people, solving real people problems. To reiterate, and and that is exciting. That is fun. And when you get a demand letter from an attorney, or you got a pleading, and they're they're arguing with you, you're wrong. You did this. Mm-hmm. Let's throw the gloves. Let's fight. And that's fun. And law school doesn't let you do that. And you can be creative and and argue ways that you never that you don't learn in school. You're not just looking at black letter law. When I say black letter law, the actual text of the law. You're looking at the application and how courts treat certain fact situations. And you're looking at how courts interpret the law, which again that's not law school. They try to make that happen to you, but it doesn't, you just can't. You can't throw that many hypotheticals at a kid to get all those on the table. So as I I start geeking out and going into a whole different other area, I've lost complete track of the original question. It was just, uh, what have been the biggest surprises since since starting grad school? What have you learned? Um, we'll, we'll say this. What have you learned the most about yourself since, you know, taking on three consecutive, uh, or not consecutive, three um, master's programs all at the same time while also working? I, I, I've learned a lot more of what I like and what I don't like. And it, it, it kind of comes back to, to college in some respects in that I really like words and I'm really, I, I won't say I'm good at it. People tell me I'm, I'm a good writer. I don't know if I am or not. That's the, the jury's out on that one, but tax is all words. It's fitting, you know, situations into, into sentences and, and constructs and the same with the law. So I, I didn't really ever expect that coming in. I didn't really expect anything. I, I kind of just was like, oh, well, I'm going to go here and hopefully make a little bit of money and enjoy it. But whether it's Stockholm Syndrome or not, I, I've grown to love this, uh, th- this profession in some respects. Um, 
No, I, I guess you could say I have a little bit of a fighter energy in me. It's fun to throw the gloves every now and then and, and get down and wrangle over facts zealously, ethically, but over with your client or for your client, excuse me. So it, it's like I said, whether it's Stockholm syndrome, like you do it for so long and then you, you get used to it and you know you develop this weird fascination with it or not. Um, it, it's That's what probably what I didn't expect the most out of this. I didn't really think I'd like it. Okay. And so, so it was, okay. So you came in knowing this is probably going to open up a lot of doors for me. Let's see how this goes. If it, if it goes great, then this is going to work out really well, but otherwise let's just, let's have the experience and let's try. And you actually found that, Oh, this is like, I like this. I actually like, like this actually worked out. Yeah. You know, I think that's a really great summation of it because you can still ask my mom and she'll go he's probably not going to practice law it just like isn't his thing and you know there's a lot of truth to that statement mother but there are things that i really do enjoy about the profession i think you could find your your niche anywhere in, in the sense that my um i have a mentor and he's like everyone goes where they ought to be and this idea of oughtness and mm -hmm. You know, the the class naturally sorts itself out in the areas and the, the certain places that, you know, are, are catered to certain individuals. Like the business students kind of all gravitate to the business areas of law and the socially people tend to go into criminal, tort, uh, you know, compliance, things like that. It, it's everybody figures it all out. But no, I did not expect to actually like this. I came here pretty much thinking, you know. It's a means to an end. I'm here to get a JD. Let's rock and roll. See where yeah. it takes me. Maybe I'll go write a book. I mean, still, still very much on the table. Um, so I feel like probably one of, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like one of the benefits as far as I would probably interpret going through all of those different programs would be getting to meet all of the people that you get to meet. Because I'm sure, you know, if you're just doing one of those programs, you're only, you know, interacting with the people in that specific thing. So you've gotten to see a lot of different um, people throughout this. Is there something that you think that people who, whether they do or not, you know, the people that seem like they kind of have a grip on this and the people that kind of seem like they know what they're doing or at least managing a very highly stressful situation the best, what are the things that you think that they do? Like, what are the, the, the people that you're in class with that you're like, oh, yeah, like, they know what they're doing. Like, that's, <laughs> like, this is, they, they have this figured out. Like, what are, are there any common traits between them or is it kind of a different, type of person between the different programs so stereotypically mba programs are like a country club you kind of work a nine to five and then you drink and play golf and smoke cigars and you've had the it's like the biggest vacation you're ever going to take that's the very stereotypical end so uh, law students on the other hand tend to be exceedingly competitive and very fierce and there are horror stories in law school. I haven't been blessed with them where, you know, there's horror stories of it's cutthroat. You know, people don't want to help you, things along those lines. You, you've, you get very clicky. I will say you do get very clicky and you stick with your type of folk um, throughout 
the process. Um, but as to a student getting a grip on it, I, I think the, most things do have a happy medium. And I see this more at work. You know, people throw situations at you, and you see this in, in law school too. They throw situations at you where you have to respond pretty quickly. You got to stay calm. You got to stay calm. And nothing's going to be great by panicking. And it isn't your life that's at issue here most of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, a client comes in and they got a serious problem. Calm down. You have to calm them down. Calm yourself down because this is pretty serious. You got to get some stuff done. We're on a t- sensitive timeline. Same with school. You know, you, got, you have a stressful exam, a three-hour exam that you got to apply everything you've learned for 15 weeks down. It is of no benefit for you to sit there, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I can't do this. I don't know the law. I don't know anything. Stop. Read the question again. Do the best you can. And that comes after three graduate degrees and realizing it's all going to be okay. But that's probably the biggest thing to answer and put a finer point on, you know, students that have a grip on it. I, I don't want to devolve into that. I have a grip on things because I'm flying by the seat of my No, head. sure, yeah. But I, I think I know what you're saying, yeah. I think generally most people you gotta stay calm. And the courts respect that and you know, it's it it keeps you sane too. Because you can't operate at eek, 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 eek the technical high levels all the time, you will implode. Mm-hmm. And I'm slowly learning that. Even for me, being yeah. a pretty easygoing fellow. Oh yeah, burnout's a real thing, regardless of who you are. If, <laughs> if yeah. you're not taking care of yourself, burnout is a very real thing. Yeah. Um, I am positive that there is at least one person listening to this right now that is considering going to grad school or has considered recently going to grad school. What are things, and this could be specific to any of the programs you're in, um, but what are things that you think people should know before they start a master's program, before they go into something like this? The first thing I that comes to my mind is relationships, whether that be romantic and or friends. One of the things that I think has been a blessing and a curse is, you know, I, I've tried my best to make time for friends and be on my phone to call them, to interact with them, to travel when I can see them. Because at the end of the day, people matter and people really do drive the world. Like it's just a career, man. It's just law school. But in reaching this idea of people, Grad school is, is a commitment, commitment in time. It really is a time thing. And it sucks. It burns. You know, you, you, you can't do all the things you want to do. It's a sacrifice. You're also um, watching your friends go skiing and travel while you're taking a pay cut or uh, don't have the time. Don't it really can't get out of there. So the one thing that I would, you know, I would advise anybody on thinking of the grad school life is to look at their time and say, hey, how do I use my time? What do I want to do with my time? I mean, on paper, everyone's going to tell you, yeah, go to grad school. It's the best way for security. And I represented earlier in this podcast 
that the reason I did it was for security. Mm-hmm. I bought myself an insurance policy on my career. Hopefully, you know, oh hell, I could right. blow up Hopefully. my face. Yeah. You know, it's insurance policy. It doesn't mean it's, it's life proof. That sure. being said, that'd be a that'd be a terrible way. I wasted my twenties in grad school. You know, damn, I still was at a job of fifty. Maybe you know, maybe that that could happen. It's a risk we all take, but. I think you need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, hey, what do I want to do with my time? If I want to spend my 20s traveling in a van in California, dude, do it. Like, I, I'm not here to tell, tell you what to do with your life, but you need, you need to look at how you want to spend your time because it is, it is a commitment and you don't have to be as crazy as me to do it. But there, there are happy mediums. I just bit the bullet in my heart. No, you know what's crazy is I rarely, or I think I typically don't hear people say that a lot of like just figuring out what do you want to do with your time, but that was probably like the biggest realization that I had, I'd say at the beginning of last year when I kind of realized that after working on a couple different campaigns that, and, and having been someone in like just desperate um i was severely lost so you know um i had no idea what i wanted to do and i just decided to you know try the first thing that reached out to me and i happened to enjoy it um but that kind of really hit me when i was thinking about oh this is the thing that i want to keep you know pursuing and doing at least in the immediate future because i thought i don't know what else i would want to do with my time like, I don't know what else I would want to wake up and say, okay, if I have to wake up and do something today and I know that I have the privilege to be able to go and do that, right? Like, I don't have anyone dependent on me. I'm not completely living on my own, you know, like I'm not isolated. But because I have that, you know, privilege ability to kind of sit back and say, you know, I do actually, in some respect, get to pick what I want to do with my time. That's that's huge. And that's also kind of, I think like a really big responsibility too, of saying there aren't a lot. I don't, I mean, there are some, but I don't think that there are a ton of people that get to experience that of just a total, Hey, what do I want to do today? Like realistically, what do I want to spend my day doing? And so when you have that chance, I mean, it, it is a super serious decision. It is a really big thing of, well, I probably could do a lot of different things, but you know, when I wake up, what do I actually want to get working on? Like, what do I want to spend the day doing? Yeah. I don't think I, I, I feel like I rarely hear it framed like that. You know, it, in my short 25 years of existence, my, I'm scratching the surface of life, but I want to kind of enjoy what I do. Like I, like I said earlier, I like putting on the gloves and fighting. I mean, court is where we come to settle our problems. Court is where we come to civilly disagree with people. And it's okay to disagree with people. It's really healthy. And I get up there and I can fight and write. Because that's what I love doing. You know, whether that be in a in a magazine or in a court, I'm still writing. And that's it's a very general skill. It's a very general idea. Even if it's emails, I, I do enjoy just writing in general. So how would I want to spend my time? I want to write. It's all a means to an end to get to that idea of. Man, I get a lot of joy out of doing this. Mm-hmm. I also want to farm in New York with a pony, potentially a pony. Let's put a, let's put a star on that. 
but who knows about the pony? They can come later. It could very well. I was in Kentucky last weekend, and there are lots of ponies. I'm like, oh man, like so much, so much horse. <laughs> but so there are like that does also you know in some ways is cohesive with. Hey Ryan, what do you want to do? Well, I want to drink good yeah. gin. Well, I also want to farm. You know, there's a lot of once and once and once. Sure. You have to be realistic in many respects. And the, the realistic line is there is, I think, a happy medium of what do I want to do? We are constrained many ways. We got to make money. We got to eat. We got to shit. We got to do a lot of things every day. But within the latitude of uh, what we have discretion on, you know, that's how you want to spend your time. Yeah. So do you graduate from all of these programs a year from now? Because yeah. you're entering your last year, right? That is correct. So then you're finishing all three and you're going to go boom, 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 three, three degrees. Um, looking out at that, you know, a year away, I'm sure that you feel excited about, you know, not having to worry about all the school again. Yeah. But is there any nervousness or uncertainty because this is going to be the first time in your life that you have not been in school? I mean, like, I understand that the point of accomplishing these was so that you would never have to go to school again, or at least, you know, probably have to take some test certifications, but formal degrees, who knows? Um, but like, like, how do you feel about that? About the fact that within a year, there is going to be a massive shift between, you know, student worker trying to do, trying to do a lot of things to just full time. You're just a person who's just working. Them. I'm a number. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a worker bee. I have a bar number at that point. Yeah. But that's assuming I pass the bar, but it's I'm in a state of happy bliss right now and the real world doesn't seem to be coming close yet because I you know my a lot of my friends graduated they're sitting for the bar and they're mortified because the bar is terrifying oh. and I mm -hmm. you know that really hasn't hit me yet so to answer your question in a very honest and fair way I don't know because I haven't really embraced it yet I, I'm still in this weird world that I keep doing the same thing over and over again. It's like a uh, groundhog's day with Bill Murray. Yeah. You know, I wake up at the same time every day, write the same brief, go to the same class and it doesn't change. So, so then, yeah. So then do you have a feeling positive, negative, neutral about like, there will just be a time a year from now where that routine goes away. So are you looking forward to that? Are you looking forward to replacing it with something else and just seeing what the next thing is? Um, or is there a little anxiety there too of like, I, you know that you've done this, you know how to do this, and it is going to be something new regardless? I, you know, I never want to make light of this situation in that I, I mean, I start with anxiety. So yeah, there's always going to be anxiety. I don't want to put it off mm -hmm. like I'm not anxious, but it is a new challenge. And at this point, after doing rinse, wash, and repeat for four years, I'm ready for something new. It, sure. I, I'm ready for a new challenge, something to change a pace. I, you know, life is changing in the sense that I just was at a bachelor party last weekend for a very good friend of mine is getting married. 
and he's not the only one that's getting married this summer that I'm going to. One by one. So many people have gotten engaged in the last year. It's absolutely ridiculous. And it's, it's every like people are shacking up, and I'm like, man, it's insane. I got <laughs> it's um, insane. I got Francis the kitty cat here. I, I he moved in a year ago. You know, like <laughs> I did not expect this. So w- with that being said, I, I, I'm getting ready for a point where it's time to get older. You know, sure. I, I think it's time that, for the next thing. It's time for the next thing. And that you just embrace it and you move on because I love the, the, what I compare it to is I loved Ohio state. I loved my time there and everyone's like, Oh man, I want to go back to college. I want to do it all again. I did it the best way I possibly could. I, I don't want to repeat it. That's not saying it was bad. It's not putting a value upon it saying I loved it for what it was and it was mm-hmm. great. And if I were to do it again, it wouldn't be the same. And maybe no. it would be worse. I don't know. And maybe it would be better. I, I also equally don't know. But it's the same thing that I'm here now. We, we got to keep moving forward. We can't be uh, iconoclastic and, and live in the past. It, it's time yeah. for the next challenge. It's time for the next way. Yeah. I love that. It, um, but that, that view also is, you know, it's not easy to say that because there's a lot of uncertainty. Well, yeah, but I think that it's also reached. I mean, like a, a, a decision like that, or at least in my opinion, being excited about something new. At least any time that I get excited about something new, is because I know that I have done as much of the thing previous as I could do. Like I look, I look forward to new things because I think, yeah, no, I did this thing and I'm, that's, that's good. Let's go, let's go do something else. So like there is obviously that uncertainty, but also when you know that you have done all that you can do in one thing, it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, we're not gonna, there's no reason to keep, you know, bringing this up. We might as well try something else. Right. And I agree. I think in the Shakespearean phrase, all good things must come to an end. And I think it's true in that, you know, we have to turn over, we have to move forward to plant a new garden, watch the growth happen before we reap the harvest. And yeah. it depends if you want to look at it in the long term or the short term. And I think we plant a lot of gardens in the short term. I think we're also planting a garden in life to, keep, to run with this, this uh, agricultural metaphor. Take it. But Farmer Ryan, let's hear it. Hey, I you know I, I want to farm. I, I'm running with the metaphor from English. I mean, we're we're just we're going off the off the cuff here. This guy loves being outside. I do. I think that has been so obvious. Um, before before we do the final four questions, I just want to open up. Um, is there anything that you would like to talk about that you haven't gotten the chance to talk about yet? So as as much as just as I put on law school and the rigors of it. I mean, it, it is very hard to explain without, you know, living through it. Um, it is a great profession. It is a great career in my, in my short dipping into the, the fray. There's a lot of reward. And I, I want to put a bow on things in regards. So I started the conversation with, you know, I, I went into help with helping people. Mm-hmm. And I still, to this day, that's why I do it is you want to help people and you know, maybe it's selfish. Are we really altruistic or not? I feel good when I do that. When someone comes to me with a problem and I help them meet their ends because 
it's like I'm not a Magellan yet. I, I, I am, I am a little sailboat driver on the wide world of the law. But when you get to become a Magellan of the law, the someone that has the skills, the cartography to navigate. I mean, that is, you're, you're really helping people. You're solving their problems. And update, people don't come to lawyers when they just like want to have a question. It's not like, hey, man, you know, you got like a cup of coffee. You want to just talk about my divorce? Yeah. No, these people come into some various situations, like very dire situations. And even in the commercial world, I mean, it's like a lot of money's on the line. You know, people's livelihoods, yeah. their careers, their families. It, it, it's, it's very, it can be very stressful and they depend on you. So just as much as a doctor is going to prescribe, you know, medicines, the doctor is going to prescribe what legal theory you're going to operate under. And I don't think it was all that different looking between the two careers in, in my little world. Um, in, in many ways, I'm still solving people's problems, you know, lawyers and doctors are just really, they're just trades and you, you don't learn it till you do it. And you also don't see the good of it till you do it. And in, in my two years of work, I, I started in the criminal world, not as a criminal, um, working for a criminal defense firm. And that was very difficult, uh, because you're not, you're not really dealing with money you're dealing with people's lives and their families. And that was really hard for me because it doesn't always work out the way you want it to. And the people that are culpable aren't always the ones getting hurt. You would really like to see a one-to-one, like, you know, you did something wrong, you pay a punishment, but really the ripple effect is it's just not that way. Families get hurt. um, Relationships are torn. And there's a lot more harm caused than good. And what is this idea of justice? So that was always very hard for me in, in the, at least in the criminal sector. But I, I feel like my place is a little bit better in this, in the civil world. Uh, and given my background, obviously, but in many respects, you know, money is easy. Money's a lot easier to deal with than, you know, what is my daughter going to do tomorrow? You know, yeah, my income is gone, and those are all noble pursuits to help people. It, it just takes it takes an amount of emotional courage. I mean, you really have to lean in, and like I said, a lot of my good friends do it. Um, props to them; they can shut off their brain when they come home. I still sit in the shower at two a.m. and like, man, like that was that was a cool legal theory for me, but I know I couldn't shut it off when I have people's lives. Yeah. Oh. To put a bow on it, I I think there's a lot, like I said earlier, there's a lot of ways in which um, law isn't exactly what it's fed to you. You can make it what you want to make it, obviously, in the terms of doctrines and disciplines that you look into. And something's going to fit your fancy just as much as whatever you study in undergrad. There's just so much. Yeah. But... As much as I said earlier, looking at what do you do with your time, you know, what adds value to your life? I like solving people's problems. I like writing. I would have done that as a doctor too. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. 
So it's, it's just about how you how you channel it, right? Well, yeah, and you, you know you're going to pull the skills that you're good at in any of your professions. Like, I'm not good at math. Sorry, it's just a fact. I'm really bad at math. I use a calculator. Um, accounting isn't math. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is. Uh, it's a lot more problem solving, and I think that's why I like it. But yeah, I don't do numbers. I, I don't. I don't mess with them. Taxes, not as much numbers as you may think it is. I mean, it is, but it's, it's not as much. Mm-hmm. It's also not calculus. So yeah, oh God, God forbid. The one, the one thing that I worry about, in my experience, was in college, I sold myself short in that. In some ways, I did. You know, it got hard. I didn't like it, and I left. That's not saying you 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 sell out when things get hard. But the real operative question is, what do you really enjoy? And that's what I would close on. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Um, so then let's get into the, let's get into the final four. Thank you for that. That was a great ending. Yeah. Okay. Final four questions. What is your favorite job you've ever had? My favorite job it's you know, so interesting that I opened it up with my mother would see me as a construction worker that I loved working for Lowe's back in the day. I would deliver refrigerators all around the city of Cleveland and blue collar job. And you just met the greatest people. I mean, number one, they'd invite you into their homes. Yes. I'm bringing you a product. Well, That's what you were there to do, right? Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I'm here to do a job. You know, you want your fridge. I'll, I'll yeah. take it in. If you don't want it, I will not put it in your home. But that being said, you know, there still has to be an element of trust in that two random guys are coming in to deliver a product to my home and install it and hope I don't put my water line on wrong and blow up my house. Not going to on a water line, but a lot of damage. So that was also coming from a very sheltered world on the west side of Cleveland and seeing more of what uh, – the world is like, you know, I, I worked with a guy, um, who was Hispanic and we had people that would not talk to him. They would talk to me being the white college, you know, preppy looking kid. And at at that point it it was what in, you know, they never should have talked to me. You know, he had significantly more experience. He was clearly the leader of the operation. There was no reason to really only exclusively channel their communications to me. And it was a very eye-opening job out of the little bubble in which I grew. And that's why I, I really enjoyed it because I saw all different types of people from all walks of life. And you really saw the good in people. If you, I mean, you, you know, there were some rough experiences coming into people's homes, you know, we weren't well sure, yeah. in places and, uh, we had dogs sent on us. I mean, it, it really was kind of an interesting job. In the same point, I also had a great manager. And I learned some really crucial things of it's about people from him. This was at the time of the 2016 election. I mean, we would sit and BS politics after work. And I saw Daryl as not my manager. He was just kind of a friend. Mm-hmm. But that's how you can manage people. So I liked it for a variety of ways. I, I met a lot of good people in that job, and I also saw what it 
what work was really like. It's not just yeah, sunshine and rainbows. No, absolutely not. That's awesome. Um, what is your dream job? And I'm not going to be surprised if you say farmer in you know New York with the ponies. But what what is it? What's the dream job if it's not that? Well, I you know these are broad questions. As I sit here today in my career, I would I would say a tax attorney. Um, however, if the question is, if I had to do it all over again, what would I do? Sure. God, you know, I, the world's my oyster. Still is, I guess. I would have gone. You love options. I if I would if I were to do it again and everything. I said earlier I wouldn't go into academia. I probably would go into academia. My hippie person personality, you know, wear a bandana and get a Grateful Dead tattoo or something. And my God, I would right. I would love to take a class from you. Oh yeah, my goodness! I, so what I went time. to a, I went to a lecture with Shelly Kagan, and Shelly Kagan is a to name drop. He's a Yale philosopher, and he wrote a text. Oh, 2015, he came to Ohio State and it was on death. And uh, he provided an analytical perspective on death. I disagree with his theory. Um, but I never forget, it was a packed lecture hall. And we go in there and he sits on a table. And the man is in chucks, jeans, and like a raggedy t-shirt. And he's got hair like the wild professor. And he just sits cross-legged on a table and expounds the theory of the universe. And I'm like, man, like, God, that's what I want to do. That'd be great. Here I am in a suit wearing like, I mean, cufflinks and very formal, very, very formal, like something kind of bad men, the literal exact opposite of what I'm doing. I don't have a grateful dead tattoo. I don't have long hair. Not yet. Not yet. No. <laughs> All right. Um, who are the people that you admire the most and take that in any context that you would like professionally, personally, however you want to take that. So everyone is, I, I imagine many people get on these on your podcast and say the same thing, my mother, and my father, which is all very well, well and true. I mean, my mother and my father are wonderful people and I'm very close with them. However, I'm going to take a, a different perspective and Probably the most influential person, I'll qualify your question a little bit, on my life has been a writer. And probably if you if you trace the arc of this this conversation, you could see his philosophy come out for me. Uh, Henry David Thoreau, also, you know, you're talking to a, a hope a soon-to-be tax attorney, a, potentially an accountant, and he gives you a writer. I'm, I'm aware yeah. of the fact that that's very weird, very odd, and probably unpalatable in many ways. However, <laughs> I mean, you just got to call it as it is sometimes, you know. I, I know my yeah. on that front. But uh, throw for me, he's a transcendentalist. I'll, I'll give you the background. And he's notoriously known and infamously known, let's put it that way, for building a hut from wood that he stole from somebody's land on a borrowed axe and then wrote a text on living off the land and his idea of, you know, in some ways about authenticity, kind of. And also this idea similarly to Emerson on self-reliance. So 
one of the most obviously is I'm geeking out on Thoreau. He was one of the most influential people for me. And one of his quotes still rings true in my head. Um, he, his quote is, many men lead, lead lives of quiet desperation. And there's a lot said in that quote. As we sit here and talk about careers, we sit here and talk about lives. And I represent earlier on the podcast that you know, I enjoy flying by the seat of my pants. Um, in some ways, I like my jobs. In other ways, you know, it is a job. But I, I think there's a lot of truth in what Thoreau has to say and that you got to like what you got to do. You got to like it. Mm-hmm. You know, many people suffer silently in careers and things they don't really enjoy. And, you know, I, I can take a counter argument from somebody saying I live in a pie in the sky idealistic world. But I think there is some respects in that you have to have a bare bottom. We have to hit bottom and say this is like kind of enjoyable. If it's not, you are leading a life of quiet desperation. I don't care how much money you make. Because I can tell you, as much as I want money, if I'm not writing, I don't really want to do it. Sure. Yeah. You still got to check the boxes. You still got to check, the, check the basic boxes. Yeah. You know, and if you like it 25% of the time in America, you're a winner. I, I would like to have a little bit of a higher number, maybe 50, you know, 25%. Unfortunately, yeah. Hell, you're not even in the Hall of Fame in baseball. Like that, you're no. you're a subpar athlete even by baseball standards. Batting two fifty, come on. You know you're batting four hundred, five hundred. Well, you know, baseball rules. You're a Hall of Fame. You're clearly a Hall of Famer. So, oh my God, you'd be the greatest hitter of all time. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like if I, it, it, I, if most of baseball is life, well, you know, hell, I take those odds any day. Sure. Well, I don't have to yeah. hit a home run, man. I just got to hit singles. Remember that. That's, you get That's right. You just you just got to play the game. That's all it is, baby. Uh, I love that this turned into Moneyball. <laughs> um, it's stuck nothing. What is? <laughs> all right. Final question of the final four. Um, what is the one thing that you are most intent on accomplishing within the next year? So, I've already practiced. I've I am a practicing vegan for the record. And although I come from a place of privilege, I live alone. I live with my little kitty cat for the umpteenth time. And I cook for myself. I live on my own and, and everything. I, I find it very easy to transition, or I when I did. But I want to continue practicing. Uh, I did it for moral reasons. And I never did it for health reasons, although obviously health is a clear offshoot of the lifestyle change and I did it for environmental reasons. So wrapping those together, I want to continue with, you know, those passions of environmental, moral and and whatnot uh, and continue being a practicing vegan because not only do I feel great physically, you know, I feel good mentally. It's like, cool. You feel good about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No, you feel good about yourself on a lot of different levels and that's huge because how many things do people really, you know, How many things does that happen for people? Um, Well, Ryan, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it so much. I had an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, And I hope we get to talk a year from now about how your veganism is going and and post-graduation. Hopefully next time I can, you know, can share a meal together in in non-commercial times. And I prepare some extravagant vegan dish that you don't even know I can't wait. vegan but 
until then, we shall part. But I, I'm, I, you know, it's been an honor and a pleasure to be on this podcast, and I'm, I, I'm really, really thankful for you reaching out to me and saying, "Hey, man, you know, what are your thoughts on this?" So it's been, a, it's been an absolute blast. Welcome to the follow-up. Alrighty, I hope that you had as much fun listening to Ryan Palco as I did. I'll be honest, I didn't really catch, um, or I learned in the editing of this episode um, that I am not as in tune during the interviews as I thought, or maybe just when I was recording this one, because had I consciously heard Ryan say Magellan of the law while we were recording I don't think I would have stopped laughing um through the rest of it so I really hope that you enjoyed that I think that he I mean obviously he has a lot to say he's a he's a talker um and which is why I love him so much um that's how we became friends was being um in the main lobby of our or just one of the study rooms of our dorm uh my freshman year his sophomore year um and he would be writing papers and I would be doing god knows what and we would just sit and talk for hours I mean like 11 p.m. to like 3 a.m. just talking just shooting the shit um so, I mean, that's, <laughs> I'm happy that he went to law school because that is absolutely um, his skill set. I think the, I don't know, maybe my biggest takeaway from this episode overall is that it's kind of ridiculous on the surface to hear that someone is currently going through three master's programs at the same time. Um Especially considering, and not to diminish any master's program at all, but especially because, I mean, one is a law degree and one's an MBA, which, I mean, like, you know, maybe someone will do, like, a dual program with either the two of those or one of them and something else. But the fact that he is doing all three of those programs, which are, you know, undoubtedly extremely challenging, I think goes to prove that if you absolutely know what you want to do, you can actually do anything. Like, and not to say that in a, like, you know, hokey, um, like, toxic positivity way, but sincerely in a, I think, I'll speak from personal experience. One issue that I had when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do when I was graduating from college was not any... I was perfectly fine working a really difficult job and working a lot and taking on a lot as long as I knew what I wanted to do. 
And I think that was my biggest hiccup was that I had no clue what I wanted to do or really that there were like a lot of things that interested me a little bit. Um, and I just kind of really didn't know how to decide on anything or how to pick. But once you know that you should be doing something, want to be doing something, need to be doing something, once that's figured out, our just capacity as people to take on a lot and accomplish a lot, I don't think that can be understated because, you know, Ryan knew going in that he was going to do two master's programs. Then he realized, okay, actually, I have a really uh, intense fascination with tax law, so I might as well add this master's in accounting. Right? The only reason he's adding that is because he just happened to have found out in his master's program, oh, well, this is it. This is what I want to do. And then he took on a lot. Um, when I was working in Iowa as a field organizer, almost, I mean, I feel like only a couple weeks in, we went seven days a week. We're working bare minimum, you know, 10 hours a day. And you're also always focused on your job because it's one of those where someone can always call you at any time to ask you something and you're kind of always on the clock. And sure, I was absolutely burnt out by the end of it but on the surface right did I think going into that job had someone told me okay you're gonna have to be working probably a minimum of 65 hours a week you're gonna be on all the time you're gonna be talking to a bunch of strangers and by the way like 80% of the conversations that you have will not go the way that you want them to go that's that's insane. That, that That's just a ridiculous proposition. However, because I knew that I wanted to be there, because I knew that, you know, is this my forever job? I don't know. Is this absolutely the best job that I think I could be doing right now? No question. You stick it out and you do stuff and you surprise yourself. Um, and I just, I, I just think that that's, I think it's important for people to know that you are, or I guess just to be reminded of, because I feel like maybe a lot of people know this, but you are absolutely capable of doing anything that you would like to do. Um, you just need to have that foundation and that why. That, okay, why am I doing this? Why do I want to be spending all of my time doing this? Um, and I think that, I mean, for me, um, and I'm maybe struggling with this a little bit right now, but I think the the biggest hiccup for people is not the and you know you see this all the time now on the news of people don't want to work anymore people don't want to have jobs people absolutely want to have jobs they just want to have an actual reason to be there outside of I need to be able to eat and I need to be able to pay my rent because when those are your only priorities when the only thing that you're at a job for is that paycheck I mean number one quality of work goes down number two uh, you don't care because as long as you're going to get paid, then, I mean, that's, you know, like, that's why you show up. Um, I think that, and I don't know if this is necessarily a tip. I don't know if this is helpful to anyone. Um, but unfortunately, at least in my experience, the only way that you find the thing or 
the things that, you know, make you want to get up in the morning and that make you put up with a ridiculous work schedule or make you put up with horrible customers, whatever the situation is, right? Whatever gets you up in the morning and is able to motivate you through that really grueling process of being able to do it is that you have to try a bunch of stuff. Or at least you just have to keep trying stuff until you find the thing that you want to do. Um, and that's not glamorous by any means. Um, I, I don't think that's necessarily like a, a special secret. Um, but let's say, for example, I'm going to talk just exactly to myself when I was uh, 21 and I was out of college. So if you were to take a piece of paper and just write down all of the subject areas, all of the things that you could possibly be interested in doing, go ahead and do that, right? List out just all of the different areas, fields, topics, anything that interests you. Then I think it's important to think about, you know, okay, what are the basic needs that you need met though, right? Like what's, how much money do you actually need to make bare minimum? Um, what schedule do you need to be at? What location would you like to be at? Um, set all of those things. And then once you have that and you kind of, and, and once you kind of set that, you know, parameters of, okay, well, I do need to be making this much money. I do need to be living here. I want to be living here. Wh whatever your kind of variation on that is, you know, then you just have to kind of start applying and trying stuff. And I think a really maybe inconsequential way to kind of try stuff and figure stuff out, go on LinkedIn. Once you have that, you know, kind of job or area and you have that location, type all of that in, find the organizations or whatever, if you need to trim down that way and find people who do that stuff. Right. I mean, unless you are inventing something completely new by scratch, which chances are that's not going to be your first job. But find someone who does something roughly in relation to what you'd be interested in and just interview them. I mean, just just try to set up a call, message them on LinkedIn or try to find their email. I, you know, it, there will probably be some people that don't respond. I guarantee there will be people that want to talk about themselves. I guarantee there will be people that want to try to give you advice um, and just sit there and have the conversation. Right. It, 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 a lot of people call them informational interviews. I think just the best way of when you're trying to narrow something down, you're just trying to try something and maybe you don't want to actually start a full-time job in something, but you're curious about it, go out and ask people who do it. I mean, honestly, just go out, find someone that does it, talk to them for like 30 minutes, they will do it, and then you will have a much clearer understanding of that area. And then if you want to interview someone else that does it, great, do that. If you want to move on to something else, fantastic. If that ends up turning into a job, which has happened for people a lot, right? They talk to someone, they talk about their interest in something, and then that person goes, oh, you know what? We're actually hiring for this job. Thanks for reaching out. Why don't you do this? It's just when you're looking at especially trying to find a job, the chances that you find something off of applying on the company website, especially if it's a big company, of just randomly, you know, cold applying, sending an email, right? Like, like chances are you're not going to, like, it's not going to work out. 
just statistically. And that's not me. That is, you know, from people that actually study this all the time. It's not going to work out. So in order to get your foot in the door with wherever you're trying to go, I would very strongly suggest just trying to reach out to someone who does that thing and just talk to them um, and just try to learn from them. Um, and you keep doing that. And I mean, that's that's also kind of the the tough part, too, is that there has to be an underlining faith or underlying faith um, that something will work out because it kind of I don't know kind of has to um, it just eventually does so that is my unsolicited advice um, for the follow-up here please um, if you are confused if you are interested in something if you don't know what you want to do just reach out to someone and talk to them about it. Just find someone that does that thing or that thing adjacent and just talk to them, interview them, grill them, do whatever you want to do. Um, people love giving you advice. It's just, uh, it, I mean, as I'm doing right now, right? Um, before I wrap up, I would like to thank our main sponsor, our favorite sponsor, the Crystal Casino Band. Thank you guys so much for letting us use your song, Luck. Um, for the intro and the outro of the episode. Um, we really appreciate it. Again, they just dropped a new album. It is so fantastic. Not about you. It is so good. Um, everyone go check it out wherever you listen to music. Maybe wherever you're listening to this podcast. As soon as this is over, go listen to their new album. It is absolutely fantastic. The Crystal Casino Band. And to everyone who listened today, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, if this episode made you think of anyone or, you know, you know someone that's interested in this thing, please send it to them. Um, we, <laughs> I make no money off of this. It is literally just being made as a resource for people to try to help them figure out what they want to do. Um, so if you are, you know, interested in this, if you know someone that might be interested in this, please send it over to them so that they can take a listen um, and hopefully more people can find these because that's that's kind of the goal, just to be a big a big resource for anyone that's trying to figure stuff out. Um, thank you all so much, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.